All right, my friends, welcome. It's Stephen Pigeon here with another Separate Academy production. Joining me today is John Barr. And we're, of course, going to be discussing all the difficult subjects of the world because we have that on our mind. <laughs> A little bit of humor there for you. I know. Yeah, today's discussion on the dig is we're going to be getting into um, we're going to be getting into the foundation of the world. Now, as a result of last week's discussion, which I thought was really quite lively, and I wanted to uh, I want to um, give a hearty welcome to everybody who's in the chat here, all the subscribers in the chat. I don't know if you can see the chat at all, John, but I can tell you the chat is lively, and we get great comments. And so we get great questions and great comments in the chat during the show, which I think is just absolutely wonderful uh, because uh, the result of the topic that we talked about last week, which was, shall we say, a little bit over the top, really generated a lot of thought, I think, and some well-thought-out comments. And so hopefully we're going to be able to get something going equally today. Oh, hold on here. Okay, hold on just a second. Hold on here. Uh, somebody keeps talking at me and that somebody is me. <laughs> Talk right. to yourself. Let me see where we are here just a second. Okay, there we go. Got it. Okay, there. We're good on that one. All right. So now, if I can, I'm going to go ahead and pull up our PowerPoint here, and we can share our screen here and get an idea of what's going on with the PowerPoint. So let's see here. You know me, John. I love to share the screen, especially if you give me a chance to get the whiteboard going, you know. Whiteboard, yeah. And then it's all over, right? <laughs> okay. Let's see. Let's bounce it onto the screen here. There we go. Okay. A Sephir Academy production brought to you by Sephir Publishing Group on the dig. And the dig is going to be, there we go, the dig. Okay. And our discussion today, scriptural research featuring Saint-Moi and with panelist John Barr. Cheryl's not with us tonight. Okay, so we, as usual, we give our initial disclaimer which is 18 U.S. Code Section 241, Conspiracy Against Rights. This is a federal law, federal statute, if two or more persons conspire to injure, oppress, threaten, or intimidate any person in any state, territory, commonwealth, possession, or district in the free exercise of enjoyment of any right or privilege secured to him by the Constitution or laws of the United States, or because of his having so ex exercised the same, they shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than 10 years or both. And if death results from the acts committed in violation of this section, or if such acts include kidnapping or an attempt to kidnap, aggravated sexual abuse, or an attempt to commit aggravated sexual abuse, or an attempt to kill, they shall be fined under this title or imprisoned for any term of years or even for life or both, or may even be sentenced to death. Can you believe, John, that the death penalty is available under this statute, conspiracy to deprive people of rights protected by the Constitution? 
Very interesting law. All right. Enough of the law. Let's get into the foundation of the world. All right. So somebody wrote this last week and they said, okay, well, this indicates what was happening between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. That we see something here. We're going to kind of go through these. We're going to go through these verses here to give us an idea that something may have been happening. So I'll start with this verse here. All these things spoke Yahusha unto the multitude in parables. And without a parable spoke he not unto them, that it might be fulfilled at which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables, and I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. Now, it's interesting. I will open my mouth in parables actually comes from a psalm, Psalm 72. But the stuff that's been kept secret from the foundation of the world, well, what are these things, right? What are the things which has been kept secret from the foundation of the world? Here in Psalm 102, it says, Of old have you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They shall perish, but you shall endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment. As a vesture shall you change them. Now, that's an interesting passage right there. As a vesture shall you change them. And they shall be changed. But you are the same, and your years shall have no end. The children of your servants shall continue, and their seed shall be established before you. So, you know, John, one of the things I was thinking about uh, after last week's conversation, we kind of talked about the fact that Revelation is pretty clear that there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth, right? Yeah. We're gonna, we've got this 6,000 years of man's reign and 1,000 years of the millennial reign. And then heaven and earth will be, the old heaven and the old earth will disappear and a new heaven and a new earth will come to be. Yes. So the question becomes, if we see that in Revelation very clear, that there's going to be a renewal, if you will, of the heavens and the earth, is it possible that it happened before? And so when you see the, the idea of 6,000 years, so we see here we've got this 6,000 years of man that appears to be the case from the time of the breathing into the nostrils of Adam to the coming millennial reign of a thousand years. This gives us kind of a 7,000 year formula. We know the nature of Yah is sevenfold because he tells us in six days he created and on the seventh day he rested. And we can see that if we're talking about that creation, and Kepha, Peter says, that a day to Yah is as a thousand years. Yes. So, arguably, before we see this advent of mankind, we had 6,000 years of creation, 6,000 years of creation, of creation, and into which this creation comes 
Zakar and Nekaba. Male and female. But it is on the second day of creation that we see after the seventh day of rest that we see yet another 6,000 years begin with the breathing of the, the breathing into the nostrils of Adam. I'm just saying it might be a possibility that something happened. Or it could even be possible that this was the initial creation. Now, we're going to deal with a passage here in Jude later on that talks about the angels having left their first estate. Where was that? The first estate. Where was that? And at what time zone did that exist? Mm -hmm. Is that a pre-Adamic state? So the speculation being here, if we look at this, the speculation being that, well, as a vesture, Yah can change the foundation of the earth and the heavens. He can change them. They shall be changed. They will wax old like a garment. And then he can change them. And they shall be changed. That the heavens and the earth shall be changed. A new heaven, a new earth. And we, when we looked last week, we looked at the idea that the heaven and the earth uh, in the tohu v'bohu indicates that the heaven and the earth were a desolation and a wasted ruin. <clears throat> a wasted ruin that was then required to be replenished. So part of my theory here, part of my speculation here tonight, again, we're speculating. That's part of the, the aspect of the dig. We're going to speculate a little bit. Is that it's possible that the nature of Yah is 7,000 years in his nature. In other words, he does a, a pattern of sevens. And that you have the earth is going to fulfill its the entirety of its destiny in the hands of Yah in a 7,000-year period. 6,000 6, years will wax on, but 1,000 years will be of rest. And then the heaven and the earth will be renewed. And so we may have seen that before. And if that's the case, what we would see is we could see <clears throat> one part of the pre-Adamic world being a 7,000-year record and the post-Adamic world being what is going to be concluded in a 7,000-year record. This is what Revelation tells us. So if that's the case and we're moving into the year 6,000, uh, which may the year 6,000 may occur in 2028, or it may even have already occurred. But if we look at that year, the 6,000, then we're talking about some 4,000 years before being part of this 7,000-year record. So that means that this would start at, or this would end at 4,000 B.C., And would go back to 11,000 BC. So what we would see is a paleo record consistent with this. That all the paleo record, the temples that are finding that they're that are antediluvian, would fall within this time frame, and not later. If that were the case. Now, so far, the discoveries that have been announced so far appear to all fall within this record category. And as we mentioned, I think we were talking about this um, during the ancient days class, 
we were talking about Gobeki Tepli, the, yeah. the ancient temple there north of Haran uh, in Turkey. It's very interesting that that temple has stones carved with bird-like figures. And those bird-like figures, uh, when I looked at that, when I first looked at the uh, Gobeki Tepli, those bird-like figures meant nothing to me. It was like, great, they had animals back then, fine. Uh, you know, and they were uh, kind of non-recognizable birds, you know, so maybe that indicated where the species were from, or maybe that indicated that they had jungle life there, or who knows what it meant. But somebody with more sense than me came out and said, look, those were actually constellations. They were markers of the constellations in the heavens. But prior to the marking that we see in the modern world today, where you have, you know, uh, Gemini and Orion and, you know, uh, Draco and, you know, uh, Hercules and so on and so forth. Instead of these constellations, they named the constellations after birds and depicted them as birds in the sky. And so because of that, they were able to uh, isolate the constellations that were being referenced by these birds and were able to get a timestamp as to when the temple was built. Now, what's fascinating about that whole temple ideology there is that in Jubilees 8, we have an absolutely fascinating passage that I probably should have isolated for today's PowerPoint, but I want to kind of go through it with you uh, and share with you what it says, because it is, it is so indicative of what happened at Gobeki Tepli, right? So here's what we see in Jubilees chapter eight. And again, this is, this is referenced in Luke chapter three, because Luke chapter three talks about in the bloodline of, of Joseph, it mentions this fellow, the son of, of Arpachshad, whose name is Canaan. And yet this is not mentioned in, in the book of Genesis. It's not mentioned in first Chronicles. It's not mentioned in any other genealogy. Where did the author in Luke get the name Canaan as the son of Arpachshad? Well, here it is in Jubilees chapter 8. It's a very curious passage because it reads, In the 29th Jubilee, in the first week, in the beginning thereof, Arpachshad took to himself a woman, and her name was Rasuea, the daughter of Shushan, the daughter of Elam. And she bore him a son in the third year in this week and called his name Canaan. So here is the record in Jubilees telling us Arpaksha did in fact have a son named Canaan, not Shelach, as it says in Genesis. And the son grew and his father taught him writing, and he went to seek for himself a place where he might seize for himself a city. So his father taught him writing, and he went to look for a city. Now, one might imagine Arpachshad, remember that Arpachshad is going to be the great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather of Abraham. And he is in that region. He's in the Tigris-Euphrates region, somewhere around Haran, in the land of Ur. And it says here, and he found a writing which former generations had carved on a rock. Now, this is what we see at Gobeki Tepli. Former generations have carved something on the rock. And he read what was thereon and transcribed it and sinned owing to it. Why? 
it contained the teaching of the watchers in accordance with which they used to observe the omens of the sun and the moon and the stars and all the signs in the heavens. So this fellow, this scientist who was looking at Gobekli Tepli, he looked at these writings, these carvings on the stones, and he said, aha, I think that these carvings are writings concerning the observance of the omens of the sun and the stars and the moon. And he was able to decipher that and get an idea. Yeah, these were setting forth constellations. Mm-hmm. Similarly, the, um, the, the temples at Gigantica on Malta, all of these temples are kind of weird because they all kind of sit in a situation that faces a particular direction, but they don't face the same direction ever. And there's like nine of them, and they kind of move around. They face a little bit there and a little bit there, and they're kind of close, but not entirely. But when they plotted it out and said these temples were built to Sidus, the star Sirius, S-I-R-I-U-S, Sirius, well, by doing that, they were able to timestamp each one of the temples as to when Sirius would have been in the view of those temples. And so they could tell that these temples were built over about a three-century period, all designed to observe the omens of the sun and the moon and the stars in all the signs of heaven. Uh, The book Ancient Knowledge discussing Stonehenge found that Stonehenge, when it's looked at mathematically, predicts the algorithm that is capable of predicting the orbit of all 10 planets around the sun to within three decimal points of their currently known orbit. That's outstanding when you think about the fact that the ruin is probably from 1500 BC or older, or older. All of this showing us that that the foundation of the earth Of old have you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands, right? And so we see here that the foundation of the earth may have been a time period, a 7,000-year time period, which preceded Adam. So when we see in Genesis 1-2, and again, again, I I want to emphasize here that I'm just kind of speculating right now, okay? I'm not saying any of this is set in stone, (laughs) although there appear to be a ton of stone relics. But, so, now, when we see, when we go into Genesis 2, we see this, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and the host of them. And on the seventh day, Elohim ended his work, which he had made, and rested on the seventh day from all his work he he had made. And he blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because he had rested from all his work which he had made. Now, verse 4. These are the generations of the heaven and the earth when they were created. Now, see, that's interesting. These are the generations, the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that Yahweh Elohim made the heavens and the earth. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field before it grew, for Yahweh Elohim had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. Now, this is this all appears after verse 4. 
This appears after the seven days of creation, which, according to Peter, may have been 7,000 years. Now, this answers a lot of questions, Sean, because what happens? Every plant of the field before it was in the earth, every herb of the field before it grew. So this is before plants were on, and herbs were on the land. Okay? And there went up a mist from the face of the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. In other words, we had a completely different atmosphere than we have now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Then verse 7. And Yahweh formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living soul. Now, this is interesting because this, if you go back to the narrative in Genesis 1, the plants of the field and so on were on the third day. So, wait a minute. Before that happened, man was created. Well, that would be kind of interesting if man was created before every plant of the field was on the earth and, and, and every herb of the field before it grew, right? Going back to Genesis 1, we see what? We see, let's see, what do we get to the plants of the field? Oh, here it is. Verse 11. Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, the fruit tree yielding fruit after its kind. And it was so, right? And that was the third day. So before the third day, man was created. And he was created from the dust of the ground. Well, how is that possible if the earth and the sun and the moon were not created until the fourth day? Now, this is the kind of discussion that we get in the Lunar Sabbath community. Oh, well, the earth wasn't created until the fourth day. Therefore, we don't start counting until four days have elapsed. However, it looks to me like we're seeing something entirely different in the text here. It looks to me like we're seeing there was a 7,000-year period that preceded the creation of Adam, and that the earth was, in fact, here in existence, as were the sun and the moon and the stars, but the earth was in a different condition than what it was in Genesis 1, when it was a desolate ruin. Rather, the earth now, it tells us that in, in verse, just a second, in verse, so where is it? It's telling us in verse 6, there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. So the earth is in a different condition now. And before we get to the third day of creating plants and herbs and so forth, man is going to be created from the dust. Now, this is, this is a different narrative. This is a different epoch, a different time period. So is there reason to believe that when we look at this idea that in the first three verses here, we see the heavens and the earth were finished in the host of them, this took seven days to do. That there may have been male and females created on the earth at that kind, Zakar and Nechabah, but not Adam. Adam is not going to be introduced into the earth until we get into the second epoch, until Yah has rested on the seventh day. Then he blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Okay, here's the end of creation. 7,000 years of creation. I'm blessing it. I'm sanctifying it. Millennium reign, if you will, for a 1,000 years of Yah over creation, and he rests over all his work. Now, the next verse is, these are the generations of the heaven and the earth when they were created in the day that Yahweh Elohim made the earth and the heavens. These are the generations, right? 
the generations. So we see one generation in this epoch and a second generation in the second epoch. Now, this is going to explain a lot, particularly when we talk about who are these fallen watchers? Who are these watchers that introduce themselves into the world? Who is this uh, Nachash that introduces himself to Eve? Who is this Nakash? Where did he come from? What epic? Where was he created? So on and so forth. So what I'm trying to say here, and I mean, I'm just going to throw it out to you. I don't think that this contradicts the narrative of a 6,000-year-old idea of, in the creation of man. I don't think it does. But it appears to infer that there may have been an epic before of 7,000 years that preceded the creation of the Adamic world or the post-Adamic world that we see now today. What's, what's your take on this, John? Well, it's kind of a new thought. <clears throat> and I think, you know, what comes to mind is some of, some of these parables that you brought up first early that Jesus taught in parables and thought about that and why did he why did he do that? Because he didn't want some people to know what he's talking about. And mm -hmm. he wanted some people later to ask, what are you talking about <laughs> in private? And that happened more than once. And, and, you know, he told this parable a couple of times about somebody, a king who had, um, who owned a vineyard and he had, he rented it out and had some people work in the vineyard and he went away on a trip or went somewhere else. And when harvest came, you know, this parable, he sent somebody back to get 10% of the produce and they beat this guy up and they wouldn't give him any, you know, and so forth and so on. This went on and on. And finally he sent his son. Well, what is he talking about? He's talking about something that happened in Genesis. This is the whole scope. So, but going mm. back to, I, I think some of these, I guess what I'm saying, I think some of these parables, I have to look at that and see, what is he referring to? What is Yahushua referring to? Because he was present. He is the eyewitness of what happened at Genesis 1, before Genesis 1, Genesis 2. Um, and, and he was there. So he may have the answers and dropping these clues, so to speak that reflect back in there. And some of this may be in Psalms as well. It's scattered around. Another thing that comes to mind is, and we've talked about this, something remarkable. When he appeared on the road to Emmaus, this is the day, uh, the afternoon of the resurrection. And he met with these two disciples going to Emmaus, leaving Jerusalem. And they were kind of downcast and all that. And then, but he, and he asked them, you know, what, what are you 
upset about. And they told him, you know, what are you, the only guy in town that doesn't know what's been happening? And he asked, you know, well, what are you talking about, you know? And they told him. But then it says, they, they said that he began to expound to them from Moses to the prophets. Now, when you're talking about Moses, you're from Genesis 1-1 to the cross, actually to the resurrection. From Moses to prophets and Psalms, everything that was to happen to him. Ah, uh, yes. Yes, indeed. Yeah. He must have done this in about 30 minutes. He had to stop time <laughs> to, go, to go through all all the books, but he opened their eyes to what the scripture said that he was telling us in the parables, it's hidden in the parables. The other thing is when we start talking about this kind of subject, it begins to open up scriptures that now I see, <laughs> now I understand. And we've we've had this kind of conversation before, because it brings to mind something that I read in the scripture. And this is Holy Ghost stuff because that's our teacher, and he says I'm going to bring it into your remembrance. Now, anyway, getting back to this, this is a difficult subject about what happened between Genesis chapter one and two because there's not any time except this day, days. And if a day in the kingdom of heaven up there is a thousand years here, then they've only gone, this is only lasted six days where they are. Or is it six days here? See, what, mm. what, that, what kind of day are they talking about? Now, it does say, you know, the, 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 the morning and the evening was the first day. So we, we think that's a 24-hour day, but it doesn't say that. Now, here's another thing I've thought about in trying to understand these things. Where we are. And I think this is a real, this is very evident when we're looking at some doctrine. We are, we are understanding with three-dimensional plus time dimension, not as they know it, but as we understand, 24-hour days. That's our time dimension. We're trying to understand something that is um, much more vast when, when it's written down by the Holy Spirit <coughs> in the hand of a prophet or a hand of a Moses, or the hand of a David or a Solomon, or a Paul, Luke, John, these guys. So this is very difficult because what we're reading is not, it's like, what are, what are they talking about? I've never seen that on the planet. I've never seen that in my city, my town. What, so, so this is what we're challenged with. That's why it takes prayer and spirit to comprehend what we're reading. And yeah, that's a good point. And while we're there, let's let me share the whiteboard here for a second. Yeah. And and uh let's talk about this because 
you're right. I mean, what the passage reads is when it says the morning and or the evening and the morning were the first day, well, you have this idea of Erev, which is translated as evening. And then you have the Hebrew word boker, which is translated as morning. Well, that's kind of interesting because, you know, you could say, all right, well, Erev is going to be evening, but it's more likely that this is, let's call it dusk. Mm -hmm. This is dusk uh, going into sundown, right? Going into sundown. And this is sunrise, beautiful time of the day, isn't it? Sunrise, yeah. Sunrise going into morning, not necessarily morning. Like, for instance, in Israel, the response you say, Bokertov, right? Good morning, Bokertov. And the response is, Boker or good light good light because the light is coming so this is kind of assumed then that okay well the evening and the morning were the first day so people would clock for instance if you had a clock you would say all right well it's going to be six o'clock in the evening here and this is going to go around until six o'clock in the morning so this is going to be our starting point right and the Rabbinical approach is, well, that is 6 p.m. would be the starting point. So we can see that half the day is night yeah. and half of it is day, right? But it begins with the night. Now, this is the common rabbinical teaching about the day. Yeah, There's been discussions about this even today. Go ahead. This is interesting because... In, in Genesis 1, verse 2, and the darkness was on the face of the deep. The darkness was, came first in that, in that scene. And then it said, let there be light. Yeah, good this, point. This may, this may be why they set the, set the time like this. The dark was first and then the light came. Um, I just thought of that. So, see, that's... Yeah, yeah. A very, that's, that's a very, where did that come very from? <laughs> yeah, it, it's a very good point. The darkness came first. The, the, the darkness was over the deep, and then came the light. And okay, the thing and about so this, this yeah, the, the, the darkness is the core of all our problems around here, including Yahweh's. It's this darkness thing. So, somewhere in the Dead Sea Scrolls, it talks about the sons of light and the sons of darkness. Kind of yeah, that's point. right. Yeah, there, there is Remember a Dead Sea Scroll book on that. Yeah, that's right. Anyway, I don't want to get off in that rabbit hole. But, but, but this is, but this is a good point, though, John, because I mean, we are seeing the darkness precede the light, and so maybe it is a reason for. Uh, and then you see Arab preceding Boker in the passage, so maybe this is a reason to construe this as the darkness first into the light. But we know that this is a circle. The starting point is also the ending point. So the big debate in the in the modern world is, well, is that starting point at 6 p.m. or 6 a.m.? Some people adhere that it is 6 a.m. The Pope, Pope Gregory, takes the position, well, it's 12 a.m. 
up here would be the starting point. There are others who say, oh, no, you could reason that it's 12 p.m. or high noon, right? And because that's when the sun is at the center of the sky all over the world. So therefore, noon makes for a perfect clock. Well, maybe that's the case, but that's not what the scripture says. So when we look at this, we can say, well, it's easy for us to say the day begins when the sun comes up. But it's also equally easy for us to say that the day ends when the sun goes down. And if the day ends when the sun goes down, then the next day starts when the sun goes down. If the day begins when the sun comes up, then the day ends when the sun comes up, right? And so this has been the the huge argument. What is scriptural? What is scriptural on this? But you would think that, you know, there is a word for night in Hebrew, which is Lila, right? So when you say good night in Hebrew, you say Lila Tov, good night, right? Lila. And then there's a word for day, which is Yom. So why doesn't the scripture say, and the Lila and the Yom were the first day? Well, for one, you're repeating the word Yom. And even though Yom means, in its fundamental aspect, daylight. It means daylight, right? So you've got some very interesting things going on here in in this phrase. And I think you're onto something that, in fact, uh, Arab and Boker may mean something entirely different. It may have an implication in the heavens, right? Yeah. How about this? When we think about when we in our culture in the West think about a day, that that's that's the daytime and the nighttime. We think about twenty-four hour day, right? Right. But the the light and the darkness are not the same. The light is twelve hours and the darkness is twelve hours, and you cannot mix those. They're they're very separate, right? Yeah. <laughs> the darkness is the absence of light. I'm just kind of thinking out loud. I'm yeah, no, it's a way. it's a really good point because the gospels tell us that the day is 12 hours. That's right. Right? I mean, it's dark. very clear. They say the day is 12 hours. Now, here's another concept for you. Let me just throw this one out at you, John. We're convinced that this is 12. 60 minute hours. There is nothing in scripture that supports a 60 minute hour. Nothing. Nowhere. Nowhere can you find there's 60 minutes in an hour. Instead, no, that, what you, yeah, that could have you know what you find in scripture? You find a sundial. Remember in the book of Isaiah? Yeah. Yeah. In sundial, the, right? Hezekiah's shadow. Yeah, and they're going backwards, they, right? Yeah, that's how they measured royal time, I guess. But you know, the 60-minute thing today comes from the the rotation of the Earth. The Earth, rot- the Earth is about 24,000 miles around, and it rotates at 1,000 miles an hour. That gives you the 24 hours in a day, the rotation. That's why 60 minutes is an hour. 
Yeah. Well, although it doesn't, but it doesn't necessarily tell us that there's 60 minutes. We could have a hundred minutes in an hour. And if we divide, if we divided it differently, we could say there's a hundred minutes. If we yeah. divide it a minute, a minute differently, we could say there's a hundred seconds, but we have this pulse, you know, we always should do this in music, right? Because this is 120, right? 120. And half of that is one, two, three, that's 60 cycles per second, right? 60, cycle, uh, 60 cycles per minute, rather, right there. Well, if you're a little bit faster than that, you would have, you could have a hundred cycles per second. And if you have a hundred cycles or per minute, if you have a hundred cycles per minute, now you've got a hundred seconds, if you will. And then you could have a hundred of those minutes in an hour. But with the sundial, what we see is we see something entirely different. We see 12 hours, but the 12 hours are variant. They're variant. Mm-hmm. So you would have 12 hours only or 12 uh, 60 minute hours. You'd have 12 60 minute hours only on the two equinoxes. Yeah. On the, the summer yeah. equinox and the winter equinox, right? Yeah. Every every other day is going to be either shorter or longer. The hours could be like up here where I live in the summer. You know, our hours might as well be, you know, the 12 segments of daylight are almost two hours long. Yeah. An hour and 40 minutes, hour and 45 minutes. You know, and so when you see that the sundial was there, so we had a variant here. We also see a variant here. However, there's something interesting because the stars. I'm going to clear this off, clear this off a little bit. Whereas the daylight, you know, if we use if we're using a sundial measure for the daylight, we have 12 hours in the variant. However, the stars in heaven, for instance, if you look at the Big Dipper, Ursa Major, okay. Mm. If you look at Ursa Major in the sky, Ursa Major moves 23 degrees, 23.7 degrees to be exact, which is a number you know found by Isaac Newton. But it moves 23.7 degrees in a rotational manner like this every hour. So when you look in the heavens and you see Ursa Major looking like this, okay, that's one time. When you come back an hour later and you see this, That's an hour later because it's moved 23 degrees and it spins like this all the way around the heavens. So you can mark each hour. You can segment, you can segment the heavens really into any group you want. But this is really an ex- when you talked about the rotation of the earth, John, this is an exact figure. If you want to break it up into 24 segments, or you want to break it up into 50 segments, or you want to break it up into 100 segments, either way you can. And this is going to give you an accurate representation. Like if instead of measuring every 23.7 degrees, you measured every 10 degrees, for instance, that's going to give you 36 different settings during the night because it's going to do a 360 degree lap around the heavens, right? Yeah. So this is this is this is all very interesting in terms of when you're distinguishing night from day, right? There's 12 hours in the day. What is an hour? Scripture doesn't tell us. So at any rate, the, the, I thought you brought up a really good subject in this in terms of when we talk about the Arab and the Volker, the morning and the evening of the first day. 
What is that if that occupies a thousand year period? Now, that could mean, it could be another illustration of what we're talking about here, that there was a dark period of the thousand years and a light period of the thousand years. And that ultimately, for instance, let, let's go back just one second. I'll go back to the whiteboard and I'll try to give an example of this and show you what I mean. Let's take, for instance, let's just, let's just put a circle up here, okay? Now, this is going to be our indication, and we're going to use this for all kinds of stuff. We're going to use it primarily for a macro setting. And we're going to distinguish between uh, light and dark. Okay. Wish I had something that I could fill that in a little bit better with. Yeah, here, maybe this. Yeah, here we go. We'll just kind of fill this in here a little bit. And we'll make this the dark side of the moon here. And we do see a dark side, right? Okay. So, with this being the dark side, call this dark. Now, this could be illustrative of a whole bunch of things. For instance, you know, when we see in the heavens, the heavens declare what? Waxing. And waning. So we know that the moon waxes on from a dark moon all the way to a full moon. And then it wanes from a full moon all the way back to a dark moon. When we see the day, the day waxes up into high noon, and then it wanes into darkness. We don't witness the darkness waning into pitch blackness and then waxing back in, but it is taking place. Now, suppose, just for the sake of discussion here, suppose just for the sake of discussion that this illustrates not just the day and the night, which this would, this being night, this being day. But suppose this also illustrates the darkness of winter and the brightness of summer. Yeah. That is to say, yeah. Yeah. Right. So so this would mark this would mark from September 21st the the um the autumnal equinox to the vernal equinox. And this marks from the vernal equinox to the autumnal equinox. So we see a kind of a waxing and waning there. But it also marks it also marks the day, right? Because this is night, this is day. It also marks the month because the month goes from no moon to full moon back to no moon, the idea of waxing and waning. But suppose, suppose that this also was illustrative of the two 7,000 year periods, that the first 7,000 year period was a dark time and the second 7,000-year period is a bright time. Now, again, we could be talking about here the Arab and the Boker. Mm -hmm. That same kind of idea, right? Yeah. So I think... Yeah. 
Yeah, we see a common pattern of, of a, in this case, a 24 hour period of a day has a dark and a, and a light. And then you've got changes that go on in periods of, of four three month seasons. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that's, the, that's the tilt, tilt of the earth against the sun in the orbit around the sun creates those seasons. Now, we brought this up before too. Where did that tilt come in? Because if if the planet was of one climate from pole to pole, there wouldn't have been any tilt. And if there was a canopy or something up there, a hazy sky, whatever, an atmospheric, a different atmosphere, it's not clear. It would have been a greenhouse kind of effect and there would have been forest everywhere, so to speak. But going back to this, there's patterns. We're seeing another pattern. And, and again, it could be a 7,000 year darkness. Where did that darkness come from that we see? And Good point. It, it, that, and darkness we covered the face of the deep or whatever that. Darkness covered the face of the deep, yeah. Is, and is, he, dar is darkness an entity? Jesus said he was the light of the world. Yes, you are. Who's the darkness of the world? Mm. I, got a name. I, got, I got a lot of names for that. <laughs> I've been I, called some of those names from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We got a long roster we could deal with right there. I've been yeah, called yeah. worse than that, but anyway, too bad. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's, it's a fascinating discussion. All right, well, let's let's continue with the sure PowerPoint. Is. Yeah, yeah. Let's see what we've got here. Okay, yeah, so one, one other thing, real quick, and I think I think Randall might have, somebody brought this up before. We we see glimpses of this kind of subject in the mythologies. We see little slivers of mythological or pagan deities or whatever label you want to put on it. Uh, what they call them? The, the barbarians. <laughs> yeah, the barbarians. Yeah, there you go. The barbarians. Um, the Scythians. The Greeks called barbarians the Scythians. You know, they were barbaric. But we, we, are, we are those. We are the barbarians trying to understand this. That's our lineage. Um, our yeah, culture, so our culture oh, did not come from the Middle East. We walked out of there, you know, across the Iranian plateau, and we went west and north and came this way. All these people that we're talking about that wrote this material stayed right where they, right where the ark landed, basically. <laughs> so we have we have that handicap that we're. We are Western, not Eastern, and it's different. It, yeah, it, it is different. It's a different it, mindset. It challenges us to understand. And then we got English and Hebrew. Help me. <laughs> yeah, here we so, go. So let's look at a little bit of the Hebrew on this. So it's because, okay to struggle with this. I guess that's what I'm saying. This is yeah. this is what we're well, supposed to do. This is what we're told to do. Seek and you will find. They don't make this easy. Yeah, Salvation it's not easy. is easy. The rest of it is really hard. 
Yeah, the rest of it gets complex in a hurry. But I mean, you know, we know there's a lot of discussions going on concerning the calendar, concerning the day, concerning the jubilee, concerning the sabbatical year, concerning when you start the count, concerning how many days there are in the year, how many months there are in the year, all of these, whether or not the earth is round or flat, all of yeah. these things are, are, are in massive flux right now as the arguments are, are going on. Well, let's take a look and take a look a little bit deeper at scripture here. And we'll look at the Hebrew, and there's something, a couple of things I want to point out on this, because when we talk about the foundation of the earth, now this is the phrase from which this comes, of old ye have laid the foundation of the earth. Well, that's very interesting that you have, of old, you have laid the foundation of the earth, because you can see here that this phrase here, la hanim, okay, this means from your face, right, haaretz, the earth, and then here we see this Ya sedo, ya sada, ya sada, okay, right here. This is foundation. So the earth foundation. From your face, the earth foundation. La ma'asa, uh, excuse me, u ma'asa, and the axe, yadacha, your hands, shamaim, the heavens. So literally what's read, if you read this just literally, from your face, the earth's foundation, and the acts of your hands, the heavens. Hmm. But, you know, in a little bit more elaborate English, oh, you have, of old, you've laid the foundation of the earth. So what we see here, and, and, and the heavens are the work of your hands, they shall perish, but you shall endure, right? Yeah. So hmm. what we see with this foundation of the earth is we're going to take a look at this word here. This Yasad, okay? So let's take a look. So Yasad. Now, this is a very interesting word in, in Ivrit. A primitive root, and it means to set literally or figuratively, intensively, to found. Reflexively, to sit down together. That is to settle, to consult, to appoint, to take counsel, counsel to establish, to lay a foundation, to instruct, to lay, ordain, or to set. So when we talk about the foundation of the earth, we're talking about something that is settled, something that is appointed, something that is established, right? So you can say from your face, the earth was established. From your faith, the earth was settled. From your face, the earth was appointed. All these things come from this yasad. But there's a very interesting word here, which is yasud. And again, this is, a, a, a Yiddishized Masoretic term, if you will. And you have this idea of Yesud, Yod, Samik, Dalet, Yesud, meaning a foundation. Okay. But I've often found that quite often when you see this idea of the Yod marked with the Ye sound, that they got it wrong. And that actually the word would be Yasud, Yasud, or Yasod. Now, yasod is very interesting. It means yas mystery, yas secret, as compared to yasud, but they're going to be spelled exactly the same way. The only difference would be the vowel points. Yasod, yasud. And this is the foundation. The foundation is what we're saying. This is this mystery that's talked about in Matthew. The mystery hidden, the secret hidden from the foundation of the world. The foundation of the earth. It's hidden from the foundation of the earth. And here it is. It's being laid out right here for us. 
that's what's in this passage, this Yasuda, Yasuda here. Okay, let's continue. We'll take a look here. We'll get into something that isn't quite so Hebrew. Hearken unto me, O Yaakov and Yasharel, my called. I am he. I am the first. I am also the last. My hand also has laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand has spanned the heavens. When I call unto them, they stand up together. Right? I've, with my right hand, I have laid, I've spanned the heavens. Well, how far should it go? Well, it's going to go that far. I'm going to span out there. So what do we say? That's billions and billions of light years across, right? He has spanned the heavens with his right hand. But we have seen here that with his hand, he has laid the foundation of the earth. The Yasod Haretz. Yasod Haretz. The foundation of the earth. The mystery of the earth. Okay. The burden of the word of Yahweh for Yasharel, says Yahweh, which stretches forth the heaven and lays the foundation of the earth and forms the Ruach of man within him. Zechariah 12.1, right? So we're seeing something here that this foundation of the earth, we have something that forms the Ruach of man within him. All of these things are coming at the time of the foundation of the earth. Okay. Now, from John 17.24, Father, I will that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, right here, John, for you have loved me before the foundation of the world. There you go. That, that, these kind of things suggest this is before Genesis 1-1. Before yeah. the foundation of the world. There's something else, too. I noticed this this earlier scripture where he's going to be forever. Yah is going to last forever, but the rest of it is going to be like a garment that, that grows old and changes and this kind of thing. Right. Yah is without time or he's outside of time, but this creation is inside time. That's where, so that's why it grows old. Something that grows old, old means time is having an effect on it. This is like mass erosion on the planet. Yeah. Oh. Well, you see that when you see, I mean, scripture opens up with the word in the beginning. Yeah. Now, that means there's there's a starting point. And exactly. We, but there's something before that. In the beginning, the beginning. That's, he, he doesn't have any beginning. We have the beginning. Yeah, we have the beginning. Creation has the beginning, but the that creator has no beginning. Right. He's he's outside of that. Um, so in time, this goes back to the 7,000-year cycle or something. In time, that changes because time wears things out. It's the law of physics. It's space. Material planets, dust to dust and ashes to ashes. Um, entropy, entropy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of a physical law in a place where where time exists. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so, you know, uh, Einstein talked about the space-time continuum being given in Genesis 1, right? In the beginning, the heavens and the earth. So we see space, the you know, the heavens, and time is in the beginning, you know, and the heavens and the earth. So we see the space-time continuum. And which does, which caused Einstein to reach the conclusion that in fact, the universe was finite. It had a beginning and it had an end. Yes. And uh, yeah, we, we know that because the, we know things are expanding from a single point. It's, it all goes back to one point. They can track that in. Uh, so it goes back to my, it goes back to my old house on Turpin Road. I mean, that's really the. No, that's really the same. It's at my old house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my old house. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. yeah. Uh, yeah. So here we go, John. Here's another one. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, yeah. this is from my point, from my opinion, now we talked about, you know, basically we were talking about the doctrine of consubstantiality in the last passage that the Mashiach was with the father before Genesis 1-1. Yes. And now we're seeing that not only was he with the father before Genesis 1-1, so were we. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Okay, hey, I'm willing to go there. Thank you. This is what it says. I mean, yeah, this is what it says. If you can read English. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. Having predetermined us unto the adoption of children by Yahushua HaMashiach unto himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Yeah. The praise and glory of his grace wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. This is, this is, this is really neat stuff. (laughs) He told his disciples, before you chose me, I chose you. He saw Philip. You know, he knew he knew who he was looking for. And and I think it's it goes more than that a little bit because I think the people that he encountered and talked to, the the woman at the well, the entire yeah. village or city of Sychar. Um, the the guy that lived in the tombs, you know, and the man that was uh, sick at the pool of Bethesda trying to get in. He only talked to that guy. He only healed that one man. Why did he heal them all? Because that's the guy he knew from before the foundation. He recognized, you know, all of these people were there. You were there. I was there. I don't have a remember of in. Was this body there? No. What's inside the body is there. Was there. Yep. See, the yeah, soul, yeah. the spirit was there. And it's another mystery for another talk, but how did I get put in here? <laughs> I'll tell you, the older you get, it becomes a drag. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But well, I'll tell you, it's very interesting, John, when you're talking about that, because when we talk about, you know, how do we get in here? How do we get in this body, right? What, and what we, yeah. uh, 
you know, well, I mean, you know, a lot of it was we knew that we were going to come to this test, this trial, which is life. We're coming to this trial, right? I'm going to form form the sword. You know, I'm going to beat out the steel. I'm going to pound it with my on the anvil. I'm going to heat it up in the heat. And then I'm going to take that iron. And I'm going to plunge it right in the cold water. Yeah. And then we'll, then we'll see if it's going to break or not. And, right. you know, we knew we were coming to earth. We knew we were coming to earth when we were in the heavens. We knew we were coming to earth. And, you know, like I always talk about this, and I mentioned this to other people, you know, people who are saying, oh, I can't deal with the fact that we're at the, we're at the end times. I said, what are you talking about? You chose it. <laughs> you chose it. You know, well, what time do you want to be on earth? Well, I want to be there when it's the most exciting. Okay. All right, wise guy. Right? Yeah. Here you go. You, you chose it. Here you go. Now you're here. Now what? Well, you ever hear you know, anybody ask you to tell you to pick a number? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Well, give me a break. Give me a break. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, so here we are. But, but you know, it's a wonderful thing. You know, it's a spectacular thing. Really. Well, I think, too, this is really cool because this, um, this relationship in the word is is it connects us because we were already connected before the foundations of the world yeah we're, and that's we're something connected. to remember and that's that's why the fellowship is so rich and if you're not of that flock <laughs> you just can't get it <laughs> yeah 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 it's so true and and we as in the fellowship in the fellowship of that flock we need to treat each other with respect. You're talking about another aspect of your own body. We're talking about the body of Mashiach, you know, and, you know, so to be pounding your, your thumb with a hammer is not appropriate. That's not appropriate. Yeah. It's, and, it's, uh, you know, so, yeah, it's very interesting, right? All right. So let's see here. Let's continue. We'll see if we can yeah, find out is. if there's any other interesting prophecies concerning the foundation of the earth. Okay. So this is from Hebrews. For we which have believed do enter into rest. And as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Mm. Right. And so this is another interesting aspect. Essentially, this is I think when, when you when you look at this, Paul tries to talk about this. And of course, the Greek translation is always kind of what did what did he say again? I don't know. Type it out in Greek. Uh, OK, I'll try to get it there. Yeah. But, but what you see is you see when we talk about the works were although the works were finished from the foundation of the world what does this mean this is why your works really have have very little weight because they were finished from the foundation of the world this yeah. was already a done this was fate complete so i kind of look at it like you know we have the heavens laid out like this here's the heavens here and this is the beginning of time and this is the end of time and Yah says, I know the beginning from the end. Yes. So his view is like this. I see all of this right now. Right. right. But you guys, on the other hand, you see, you know, this little bit here during your life. That's you know? right. Or maybe you're here. You see this. But I see all of this all encapsulated yeah. in one shot. Because to him, all of the space-time continuum is illuminated. It, it, it stands still in front of him. Yeah. And I think this is very important. To understand something because he knows the beginning from the end 
to the end. And we're in the middle of this, this uh, looks like chaos, you know. But he gave us a book. He gave us a lot of books. We're finding some more books that go and tell us the beginning to the end. Now, this goes back to some of the things uh, Yahoo did, um, Yahusha did when he was here encountering these people. That blind man that was blind from birth and he gave him his sight and they all got excited about how can a blind man do Who sinned? Did this man sin or did his mother sin? Neither. Right, that was the question. Yeah, neither one. This guy was blind from birth so that I can come along and show you the power of God Almighty. He said things like that. Now, what is that telling us? That fits into this other, this timeline that you just said. This man was, came here blind for the purpose of the glory of God. See, and, and in the life of um, Yosha, we see this pattern over and over and over again. Now we're we're looking at it from our little knot hole, but he already knew the script. Another thing that tells us that this is this is done from the beginning. Now this is a mystery. This is a great mystery. I'm not explaining this. It's just what it says, what it appears. When how can the prophets? prophesy something a hundred years in the future or a thousand years in the future because they saw a vision because they're getting words from the person that wrote the script telling them say this showing them in a dream Daniel Daniel saw the, the beginning and the end of the Gentile world kingdoms we're still in the last one so that's that timeline that we can't see, but the prophets, that's what they see and tell us. They're saying something. Yeah, that, already... You're right. This is, you know, you're talking about a great concept here, John, because it's like a movie. The movie well, is we, already done, see? <laughs> yeah, the movie, they, and they're, they're kind of telling the ending. Yeah, you know, stealing yeah, the we're, thunder. We're in the movie. This is my time in the movie. This is my place. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's kind of wild, but when you put some of this together, it's like, what am I seeing here? And you're seeing that time that he says, I, I know everything from the beginning to the end. And the evidence is I have a book. John Barr has a book that has that story in it. And, and now I can even find these visions that clearly out of time are given. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're given out of time. I mean, the, the prophecies of Ezekiel, the prophecies of Jeremiah, the prophecies of Ezra, the prophecies of Daniel, these are given out of time. The prophecies of Baruch, even the prophecy in Enoch, we have these prophecies. You've got because, prophecies that are out of time. Because where they are is out of time. We're the ones that are stuck in the time thing. Yeah. And they can enter anytime, any place along the time Um. Continue. Come in and go in and out of this. Yeah, come in and say. I mean, for instance, when you when you look at, um, at the prophecy of the four kingdoms expressed in the the statue of Nebuchadnezzar that Daniel's talking about, you know, 
the yes. kingdom of gold and the kingdom of iron and the kingdom of brass and, and the mixed toes. That, that kind of illustration is Daniel seeing time over 3,000 years. Yeah. He's seen this over 3,000 Those empires are wearing out. It's just like this cycle. One comes in, they're at the top of their game, and then they, they corrupt. And another one comes in, they're at the top of their game. So that's another cycle on this planet. We see that in mankind's. Um, yeah, what you're saying there is we we start out and you know yeah yeah we're descending we, we, we wax into our ascendancy and then we begin to yeah. wane so, right yeah and and it tells us all, all of mankind is going to descend into a cataclysm of their own making yeah and it's happened repeatedly in the pattern of of human history so, so true so, uh, you know this is. These are all very huge mysteries, but we have this book <laughs> and, and we have the Hebrew because it's, it's not really clear with the English in, in, the, in this book. It's not as clear as it is with the Hebrew. That's true. And I mean, you know, and the thing is, though, is that when we look at this book, you know, what we're finding is, John, is that you do have things in the text of Scripture that are absolutely outrageous to the secular world, right? The secular world does not comprehend, for instance, that it's possible to for uh, uh, someone to see the future and to accurately predict it. I mean, you might have people clinging to Nostradamus, but his vagaries are quite vague. You know, uh, you know, and and you know, later on in, in some century, people are going to move uh, from east to west. Well, okay, that's a great prophecy. I guess that's going to happen. But when you talk about the prophecies of Scripture, the prophecies, and particularly given in Hebrew. They keep unfolding and unfolding and unfolding and unfolding and unfolding. Yeah. I mean, like, let me give you an example of a prophecy that was given by our friend uh, David, right? And David, I mean, and this is a prophecy. When you when you when you read this, this is a prophecy that is rather mind-boggling, right? But this is Psalm twenty-two, Psalm twenty-two. Eli, Eli, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh, Elohai, I cry in the daytime, but you hear not, and in the night season am not silent. But you are holy, O oh, you that inhabit the praises of Yasharel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted, and you did deliver them. They cried unto you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man. A reproach of men despised of the people. All that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, he trusted on El Yahweh that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing that he delighted in him. But you are he that took me out of the womb. You did make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. I was cast upon you from the womb. You are my L from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me around. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my belly. 
My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And you have brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Be not far from me, O Adonai, O my strength. Hasten you to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for you have heard me from the horns of the unicorns. I will declare your name unto my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, will I praise you? How's that for a prophecy? Amen. And you know and that, I mean, that 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 one that was rejected, defeated death. That one that they treated that way was the victor in the end. See, and you know, it, it, speaking of this time a minute, it was, he came in the fullness of time. That, that moment, that hour, that day, that month, that year was perfect timing. We, we know that. And another thing about the parables, it's not given to them to know given to you to know that's what he said to his disciples it's not right. given to them to know that's why i don't really you know tell it like it really is because they will distort it which they do anyway right. so so what, true what is that to me what is that to me you know I, this is a kind of a horrible this is a very non-doctrinal thing to say but the scripture that we have that has come down to us in spite of whoever wanted to distort it um, is not written. It's written for the believers. It's yeah, not it's written. not written for the non-believer. Right. Non-believers don't ever pick it up. They don't ever, it doesn't, you know, I can't explain that, but it's written for, but who did he come for? Lost sheep of Yisrael. Lost sheep of Yisrael. The outcasts. Yeah. The outcasts, ones that couldn't even go into the temple. The guy on the right cross, that guy on the right cross, I love that guy. He's the only one in all the trials of that day, in front of the, the Jewish Hebrew leaders, the Sanhedrin, the, the, the temple people, all of them. And, Herod, and Pilate. And the government of Rome. And the government of Judea by the Edomite. That guy on the cross is the only one that testified. You'll, you'll like this. He gave a testimony in behalf of Yahshua. Yahshua's there, and they're, they're talking, they're having this conversation up there, the three of them, because people are slandering the man in the middle, see? And, and the guy on the left was 
made a smart remark, you know, if you're who you say you are. So he knew who he said he was. The guy on the left did. Save yourself and save us. And the man on the right defended Yeshua. He told that guy, you and me belong here. We belong here. That He, he just confessed his sin. We earned right, our right. punishment. We belong here. I can't complain. I can't blame it on anybody. See, this is the words of the right. This is the difference of these two guys right there. And then the man on the right said to Yeshua, called him Adonai. He addressed him, Adonai. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He, he, he knew in his soul and his spirit, this is the king of Judea, the king of Israel. This is the son of David, son of dude. <laughs> yeah, dude, yeah. Yeah, that man in all of his, whatever his life was, the results of his life was up there on that cross. Murderer, well, he had to do something really bad for the Romans to do that. He had to be a threat to the Rome, to Rome, really. So, but right there, he named Yahshua's Lord, King, and remember me when you come into your kingdom. The work, the work of redemption was going on right there on the cross. And then yeah, a great you're right. And you, and you think about who abandoned him. I mean, you know, all the disciples were Everybody. gone. Who, yeah. who was at the foot of the cross, even, you know, and who was the only one that said, wait a minute, this guy bulls, is not rightfully up here. Those bulls of Bashan were those soldiers that whipped him half to death, surrounded him, put that crown of thorns on his head, beat him to near death, put that purple robe on him. And then Pilate said, this is your king. Try, trying to satisfy this mob. That mob, it's not for them to know. And they said their reply back to Pilate, we have no king but Caesar. And they're praying on the Caesar's wall over there in Jerusalem. Fortress yep. Antonia. Yeah. They They're still that. trying to get permission from Caesar. Still trying to get permission from Caesar. And this this part is, of course, this is this is the climax of everything from Genesis one one and before. This is already set in place, according to the scriptures. The Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. Well, now that you raised that issue, let's go back. <laughs> to our PowerPoint, and let's see. So we see here, again, going into the book of Hebrews or Ibrahim, for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world has he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Well, and here, in Kepha, First Peter, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers, your vain conversation received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Mashiach, 
as mm -hmm. of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who truly was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in Elohim, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in Elohim. See, look at that last part. Go back a minute. That, that, see that right there at the end of 20? In these last times for you, that's the believer. Unbeliever can't understand this. Who by him, you, we believe. We only believe. I don't have any facts. I wasn't there. But I have this word. And by the spirit, we begin to comprehend. This is the only way I can say that I understand anything of this. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I cannot boast. I can't. I can't. I have some. It's somewhere. because the Ruach, the Ruach within us has given us eyes to see and ears to hear that we might understand the parables, that we might understand the words, that we might understand what is being said. And who by him do believe in Elohim that raised him up from the dead. Yeah. This is the same thing that Paul says and the same thing Mashiach says, so the same thing, believe in Yahweh Elohim. And this, Let's take a look at this passage of yeah, Revelation. This belief, this belief comes to us. It's a gift. Faith is a gift. You yeah. Know? Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Well, let's take a look at this passage in Revelation. This is Revelation 13, 4 through 8. And they worshiped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue for forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against Elohim, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and all them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the Kodeshim and to overcome them. And power was given unto him, given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the sephir of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. Yeah. Now, you know, this is one of the things that we see when we talk about when we talk about uh the Yodhe Babe, you know, Yausha. Uh, it was contemplated that he would be slain in the yod heh In the yod heh it was contemplated that he would be slain because, um, because what you see there is the Yod, which is the hand, the hand of Yah, Yod, the He, the window, look through the window and see, the Vav, the nail, hmm. and the He, look through the window and see. So literally backwards it reads, behold the nail, behold the hand. Mm. Behold the nail, behold the hand, behold the nailed hand. Mm. You know, this is such a huge, huge statement in the name Yahweh because the, the, the nail in the hand is contemplated the first time the name is set forth when breath is breathed into the nostrils of Adam. 
the nail has been uh, in the hand has been contemplated as the redeemer. Now, arguably, the nail is contemplated in Genesis 1 because you see this in the beginning. Right? That's one thing. Okay. I am the Aleph and the top. Et Shamim. They et. The second time the et appears, it's marked with a nail. The second time it's marked with a nail. So this gives us an indication that the lamb was slain from the foundation of the, of the world. And it goes on to say in Revelation, and the angel said unto me, wherefore did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the suffer of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and not and yet is. And once again, John, we see that those who are written in the suffer of life, their names were there from the foundation of the world. Yeah. Well, that's a mystery now, isn't it? <laughs> it sure is. This, <laughs> this requires belief. It requires yeah. faith. You know what, John? It's, I, it's written. I gotta, it's written down there in black and white. That's what the words say. That's what God yeah. said. So, Well, I got to tell you, I really appreciate this conversation here tonight. Um, I didn't quite know where this was going to go, but I'm glad we've had the opportunity to talk about this. Because I think the thing that's been revealed here more than anything is that we can we can talk about the two timelines if you want, the 7,000 years that may precede the 7,000-year epoch we're in today. Yeah. Scripture, scripture, I think, does allow for it. I think you can find it in Scripture if you look. Yeah. But more importantly, we see that we as souls were eternal. We were eternal. We were with Yah at the foundation of the world, before the foundation of the world. And he has placed us here for such a time as this. So let us be joyful and rejoice in however difficult it may be and however difficult it's going to get. We're here and we're going to rejoice in it and we're going to love you for doing it. Hey? Yeah. He's a winner. <laughs> stay with him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, stay with the winner. Yeah, amen. Okay, all right. Let's see if we've got any questions here. So Jessica has got some, uh, Jessica has informed people in the chat to go ahead and capitalize questions. And well, let's let's see if we can get some questions going here. And uh, so uh, Dirt Dabber 6262 says, yeah, the elect from the foundation of the world, the elect from the foundation of the world. I think that's a good way to say it, uh, yeah. Dirt Dabber. Okay. Now, okay, so here, Lily Nazareth says, on the cross, Yahushua said, woman, behold your son, referring to Genesis 3.16. She is the woman. And he is her offspring. Mm, yeah. You know, that's very interesting when you talk about this, because, uh, you know, the seed of the woman is another question, which we're, we won't do tonight, but we will carry on. We're, we are going to deal with that issue, the seed of the woman. At some point. Yeah. Okay. Now, here's another good question. Uh, capitalize all your questions so they stand out to answer. Them. That's not a question. Oh, okay. <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> all right. Just double checking. Okay, Joy says, great discussion, Dr. P and John. Yeah, thank you, Joy. I really appreciate that. Okay, and I want to thank you guys in the chat for being with us tonight. 
And I want to give a special shout out to Jessica Nog, who has been so faithful to administrate this, even so late at night where she is in Britain. Okay, so because everybody's been a little slow on the draw on the questions, we, John, what can I tell you? We've answered every question that anybody <laughs> could possibly have over the issue. It's just been a remarkable presentation. You know, as they as they say in uh, in the Russian, <laughs> no, yeah. Okay, and so <laughs> I, used, I used to tell them write down your questions, and I'll bring you the answers next week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. Okay. All right, guys. Uh, oh, John. Hey, what's your background, brother? What Brief part of it? <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, when when you're our age, we can go on for a long time, can we not? Yeah. Um, well, I, I was, a, I graduated with a degree in industrial technology, majoring in electronics and minor in earth science and, and was right out of school, went to work as a um, seismograph in the oil field for a few, well, probably not very long, well, a week, few weeks because my draft classification changed. So I, I went back to Louisiana, and immediately got a job as industrial engineer in a defense plant, ammunition plant, working for the contractor. But they they still drafted me, or we're, we're going to. And I went in the Air Force and, um, and served in Korea and in uh, two deployments in Korea and one into Southeast Asia. I was an avionics navigation systems technician enlisted. I went I went to college to get a degree, so I'll be an officer when I went in the military. Good idea. But you know what they did? The, the Pentagon already, my commander said, no, you're not going to officer school. I got a letter from the Pentagon, you're going to avionics school. They needed more people that could fix airplanes than they needed officers. <laughs> to tell everybody how to fix the plane. Yeah, yeah exactly. but anyway, it was it was quite the adventure. Anyway, I got out of that and got out of the Air Force active duty in 72 and, and worked in the defense industry contract. Um, wound up with two of the largest, Martin, Lockheed Martin and McDonnell Douglas. And uh, then had a major, major um, turnaround. I had the, the midlife crisis or whatever you want to call it. Serious, serious emotional mental breakdown. Um, and it, it, today I know it's all about stress and PTSD stuff showed up later. Um, yeah. And um, that was from what was going on in Korea. And, and well, if you work on flight lines or, or carrier decks, you're, you're in a, you're in a crisis every day. <laughs> so it's a lot of, lot of stress. It, it just piles up on us. But I took my GI Bill from Vietnam and got uh, uh, MS in management, engineering management, out of Rollins College at Florida Winter Park. And um, that helped me when I was working with the defense contractors because I, I was a program director, a program manager in several things and a staff engineer. Um, I worked on Tomahawk cruise missile program. So, and all the other stuff, it's how we took down the Soviet Union. Um, 
mm -hmm. laser guided weapons and things like that. But anyway, um, I got out of this, uh, out of that world. And um, I credit that to Yah. Like Paul, he knocked me off my horse. And um, um, I got some, went ahead and got jobs based on my background and reputation, but it, I wasn't the same person. And um, so I was out of work for a little while, but not for long. I got a, a, a contract, a uh, 90 day contract as a consultant engineer with a small defense company in Vermont. And um, so I went up there and there were two guys up there that I'd worked with in Florida defense contracting. So I went up there for 90 days and stayed 15 years in Vermont because um, I, they had a real visible National Guard. So I went over and went to the Air Force first, but I had had eye surgery that they didn't like. And the eye surgeon said, look, look out the window, see across the flight line, that big green building, that's Army Aviation. They don't care if you can see or not, you know, so. <laughs> went over there and, and joined the Army National Guard. It, it was like going home because I had two years of Army ROTC in college. Um, and I learned we're not gonna win in Vietnam. That's why I went in the Air Force. I wanna go in the Army. They kill me. So I went up and working, working uh, for a couple of contracts up there and then doing uh, contract work for the, for the Guard, Army National Guard up there. In telecommunications and got a federal job, and and helped them design. Well, I wrote the specs for the for the cable plant to upgrade it to Cat five and, and fiber optics. And they sent me to school, so I was a fiber optic certified fiber optic technician with Lucent Technology. And uh, somewhere in there, I got another eighteen hours graduate work, it was advanced management. Um, the government paid for half of that. And that was 1997-99. And it was mostly when the, the globalism was happening, industrial globalism and, and a lot of uh, manufacturing was moving offshore. So it was a lot of, kind of an update right. on management. Following NAFTA and GATT and the World Trade yeah, Organization. Yeah. All this international business and uh, human relations kind of stuff, 18 hours of that, that was pretty good. And so I was in the guard just in time for Desert Storm. <laughs> and uh, my unit was, was on the list to go, but we had, uh, we had uh, I was just a communications NCO in a personnel unit. And, uh, with the guard and uh, we had a mission over at Fort Drums, direct support to the field, to the Gulf. And then we were supposed to go to the Gulf because they thought there were possibility of so many casualties, but that didn't happen And the shooting war really was over in about four days. Right. So we stood down, I went from Fort Drum to Fort Devens with a squad of about five clerks to 
Um, there were 5,000 troops coming in, reservists coming in to New England um, states that were to be discharged off of active duty. So um, we had, I had that squad and clerks to do all the discharge paperwork. We did that and that was it. And uh, anyway, I just, I don't know how many, I have four or five, maybe six army MOSs in different things. I was in Ordnance Corps, Adjutant General Corps, uh, Signal Corps, and, and had Army jobs and all those things. Every time I could travel, I would go. I'd go out to Italy um, for a NATO exercise. And um, that was the first computer war game that we had it up on screens in uh, Vincenza, Italy. That's just south of Aviano Air Base um, near Venice on the east side. And uh, while I was there, I saw these refugees that were coming out of Yugoslavia, former Yugoslavia, Bosnians and all this. So this ethnic cleansing business had started and the war game turned out to be, we were playing the parts of a fictitious country called South Titania. The Alabama National Guard in Alabama was playing the part of North Titania. They were the adversary, the aggressors attacking the South and the NATO people up in Brussels playing themselves. So we set this computer game up to get, and NATO's role was to figure out how to intervene, how to get in the middle of this in the name of making peace. And that's how, that's how it's been. We start wars and then we have peace. And then we got control. <laughs> See? Yeah. yeah so yeah. anyway, that's I don't know. I spent time two years up on the Canadian border. I, I was on active duty in the army supporting the border patrol up there in 92, 94. So I did a lot of things a lot of other people didn't want to do, but I didn't care. I was <laughs> be all that you can be, you know, they say that. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, right. But well, didn't you spend some time in Russia as well? Yeah, yeah, I, I was um, in two, 2002, I was, I was still in the army. I went to Kosovo. I wanted to go to Kosovo because I'd been in Italy and I saw what was going on in, in the Balkans. And one of our units was, was on the list to go in a small detachment. So anyway, I linked up with them and got, got another MOS qualified. I went over as an army journalist that was a kick. Yeah, the press pass, the NATO pass. I could go <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> anyway, I was in, sat in a lot of very interesting meetings, and I saw clearly what was going on. And, uh, and but anyway, I came back in 2006 and went down to Louisiana because I I decided to get out of the army business, so to speak. I transferred to. Louisiana National Guard. My father was still alive and I got a job with the Fish and Wildlife Service as a park ranger 70 miles from where dad was. So I spent three good years with him. And uh, and then I was just in time for Katrina. <laughs> Went on active duty for that um, down there. And then 
I began to plan what am I going to do when I retire because I was like a, a year away. And uh, so I got I got certifications in teaching English as a foreign language. Um, and uh, so and I wanted to go to Russia. And one of the other reasons I went to Kosovo was I was backtracking the migrations out of the Middle East of the, mm -hmm. of the nations. And, mm -hmm. and the, the track led in that direction. I got all the way to the Black Sea when I was in Kosovo, Bulgaria, and talking to people, mostly historians along the way about their ancestry. I found guys in Kosovo that, that knew that their ancient, ancient tribes were called the Dardani. How about that? And the Illyriums. This is the yeah, name it is. of Troy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Priam was a Dardani. Yeah, yeah, Darda. that's right, yeah. This is a yeah, raw right. boy. Yeah, and that, that Trojan area, it's very interesting that who that tribe is and where, and where they ultimately did their migration. And I do yeah. believe that this is part of Constantine's motive for returning to the area, that he was oh, a yeah. son of Troy. Yeah. Although he was yeah. born in York, in Britain, he was the son of Troy. Yeah, and they he knew wanted their, to come back. Yeah, that was a mistake about the legions, their commanders and all. Their, their, war, their war mythology was tied back to the Trojans. And, uh, all yeah, that's very interesting. Well, so yeah, you got into Russia. When did you get into Russia? I, I retired from the army and the government and all that in 2006 on my birthday, September 8th. And, and by the end of September, I was already in Russia. <laughs> and where were you in well, Russia? I went to uh, Rostov-on-Don, Rostov-Nadani. And uh, yeah, I got I, I have three certificates uh, from an international school accredited for teaching English overseas. And, you know, if you got a master's degree, they love it. So... I didn't have any problem. Yeah, and Rostov is, Rostov is on the back end of the, of the Sea of Azov, right? Yeah. The Don so River comes up. The Don River Delta is right at the northeast corner of Azov. And uh, we're about 70 miles from the Ukrainian border. And I, I taught English in and out of there for 12 years uh, before all this mess started. But in that time... I watched the thing. I watched the condition, the situation deteriorate because of what the British were doing. They were doing. They started it, and and I knew about it because it affected the the visas. And I always, I didn't have any tourist visa. I always had a business visa, and I didn't go with a group. I went by myself, so I wasn't connected to anybody. Just me, and uh, I did. I did. Actually, during Katrina at night, um, nothing was going on where I was in Baton Rouge. So I would be online uh, and I made contact with people in Rostov. And my, my uh, tutor in the English, uh, teaching English course, when I, when I finished, I asked her to recommend uh, a school in Russia. And she said, look for an English first school. They were the first people to get, enter Russia from the West teaching English. And, uh, and I found one in Rostov, but I couldn't find a contact. So 
So I found somebody in Russia that lived in Rostov and I asked them, you heard of this school? And they're like, yeah, it's like three blocks down the street from where I work. Hmm. So I asked them to go down there and get me the contact info for the director. That's, that's where it started. So you so, learned a lot about Russia while you were there. A lot. I've read a lot. I know all of, I know everything <laughs> from the primary chronicles to today. So great place. Yeah, yeah. It's it's an interesting place. And Rostov is in one of the better areas in Russia, down to what we used to call the black soil down there, Krasnodar yeah. and all that. Yeah. yeah. Very exciting. Yeah, well, it's we're in interesting times. Well, John, I want to thank you. So thank you for giving us your background. Now, there's a couple questions I wanted to I wanted to deal with here. A couple questions came up. One one person asked, okay, how much time do we have left? Well, I'm gonna say this, irrespective of how much time we have left, enjoy it. That's right. While we're here, enjoy it. You picked mm -hmm. it, so enjoy it. Okay. So somebody asked Jacumba Highlander says, What is the possibility of a sacrifice to Tammuz this year? Now, this is the question. This is a question about what is happening uh, in particular in Israel. There's some crazy stuff going on. There was recently uh, some kind of the lighting of the fleece in recognition of this new guy that they're calling the Messiah. They're calling him the Yanu Yanuka, Yanuka, and which is a very interesting name. And, and this fellow is rising up as the defender of Judaism. Uh, and I wouldn't call him a Messiah per se, but he's definitely a defender of Judaism in, the, in terms of the total faith. And when we talk about the rise of the man of lawlessness, well, I think the man of lawlessness is going to be revealed here very quickly and very quickly, very soon. And so the question when the timing is, one question is going to be, when do we see the two witnesses? Well, a lot of that depends on who you believe the two witnesses are. So we'll see. Now, speaking, speaking the truth says, can you cover current events? Okay, I will cover them. I'm going to cover them very quickly here, speaking the truth. This was, I did a very good discussion on uh, a global news with uh, uh, Scott Bennett that was broadcast live in Vietnam, believe it or not. We had a very good discussion uh, concerning current events. But I mean, I can tell you the current events. I'll just tell you what my perception is over some of the highlights. The, the Bank of International Settlements in Switzerland announced yesterday that they discovered a most dangerous and precipitous financial bubble. And it's an off the books bubble that is on the verge of total collapse. And this bubble has a value of $80 trillion, which exceeds the worldwide GDP. And this is a bubble that's been created by the debt instruments in currency swaps. So people that would buy something and then they'd re-express it in a different currency and they'd borrow the difference in, in money and then that, that would never get paid back because it would be off the books. Yeah. And that, that amount now is $80 trillion. And it is about to pop because the pressure on the dollar, you know, the balloon is absolutely at its maximum. If the Fed cranks up interest rates any further at all, even 0.25 basis points, 25 basis points, it's likely to burst the bubble. And it's an $80 trillion bubble. And so the point the Bank of International Settlements was making, and by the way, this is the end of the, the banks, right? When you get to all the other banking that goes on, at the end of the day, it all ends up at the BIS. Yeah. And uh, with this bank, if what they're saying is if this bubble pops, then all the fiat currencies in the West go to zero and they could go to zero overnight. Yeah. So we're right on. We, we see the event and we're right on the on the precipice of that event. So that's premise number one. <laughs> premise number two. 
Ukraine launched three drones that went as far as 700 kilometers into Russia to strike targets. They struck an Air Force base and they struck an oil facility in Kursk and a facility in Razan, and they struck a facility at Engels Air Base. And the Russians, and Anthony Blinken has denied having any responsibility for it. He said, we never told Ukraine to do it. We've told Ukraine not to do it, but Ukraine did it nonetheless. Uh, and the United States has pulled literally the last of our armament together and shipped it into Poland. So there's 700 Abrams tanks and Bradley fighting vehicles and everything else, the stuff we used in Desert Storm, that's now sitting at the Poland-Belarus border. If those vehicles cross into Belarus, the Russians have already indicated we're going to use every weapon at our disposal, including nuclear weapons, to protect Russia. So that's what the situation is. You have a massive buildup of every every bit of arms that NATO has left is sitting on the Romanian and the Poland border. Uh, in the meantime, Europe is going into a dark age that's going to be dark for a long time. This winter is going to be bad. Next winter is going to be worse, and the winter after that even even worse. They've just cut themselves off from Russian oil by placing a price cap on the oil. There's no Russian natural gas in Europe right now. So we see an economic crash that's really coming hard this winter now that it's cold. And in addition to that, the Russians are contemplating cutting off all uranium to Western Europe as well, which means all the nuclear power plants will go dark. And so, uh, and you know, you wouldn't believe some of the, the size of the power plants I've seen. Okay. So, um, you know, you're talking about all long-term financial poverty for Europe is coming to Western Europe, long-term. Okay. Now, now the next thing is, uh, so in the States, we're looking at a draconian situation. If the dollar goes to zero, if the euro goes to zero, the pound goes to zero, the Canadian dollar goes to zero, the yen goes to zero, there will be nothing that will allow the United States to defend, to defend itself. Because one of the things that's happened in the United States is that we have lost the American will. Whereas John, uh, John, you know, when you were in the military, there was the esprit de corps, as they say in the French, the, the spirit of the corps. There was, there was people who were going to fight for America, whether they got paid or not. That spirit is completely gone. It's strictly a mercenary army. And the people yeah. that are there are serving on the basis of their contract, right? Yeah, we 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 took the oath to defend the Constitution. I don't care who the president <laughs> is. Yeah, it doesn't matter. And now the, cons no the Constitution is dead. And they don't. Yeah, the they don't. Yeah. But now, now the Constitution is dead, and and Barack Obama purged the military of all those guys who were loyal to the Constitution and put in his personal loyalists and weaponize the U.S. military as a weapon of the Democrats, like they've weaponized the FBI, the DOJ. That's and so all these things are weaponized. And the, so the Constitution is dead. American loyalty is dead. The esprit de corps is gone. It doesn't exist anymore. So when the money runs out, people don't fight. It's going to be that simple. When there's no money, there isn't going to be any fight. And so this becomes a huge problem because once the, once the dollar pancakes, I mean, the following day, we're sitting ducks. We are sitting ducks. And we're sitting ducks for anyone and everyone. And the anyone and everyone means that just what the scriptures say, the arrows will come in, they will not miss. They will take us for a prey. They will, they will take everything that we own, including our children captive. They're going to completely gut the place.
and there won't be anything to stop them because we could always call upon our friends to help. And who would that be? Who's our friend in the world right now? Who's the friend of America in the world right now? Given the kind of immoral chicanery that's been pulled by our leadership since 2001 in the world, we don't have friends. Okay. Now, somebody else asked, Sumas asked, hi, Sue. Good to see you, Sue. Uh, does the phenomenon of sheep walking in circles have any correlation to the book of Jasher and Noah's Ark, giving us a warning when we're about to enter the Ark? John? Well, I don't know. Uh, that the, the, there, I think there's some correlation with the the North Magnetic Pole moved, and nobody knows what what that's about. And uh, but the but the birds are flying. The magnetic de declination where I live hasn't changed that much because of where the pole is moving to. But there are things that go on out there that we don't know about. And certainly, who, who, who made the animals go into the ark? They just came in there by themselves because Yah said, hey. Move. That's right. And Jasher and, uh, says they were circling the ark, waiting to get in. Oh, they yeah. Were circling the ark, you know. So and, and we know now, you know, Yahusha is our ark. Yeah, Amen. No, and, our and ark. This, he's the ark. Get inside of him. Get in him and he and me, me and I'm in him. You know, he said that. He said that. He prayed that <clears throat> in the garden about his disciples. I pray that they will be one with us. And then this is really cool because he prayed for everybody that would come to believe because of what those 12 would do. That's you. That's me. He prayed for everyone who would come to believe because of what the disciples would go and do. And that's take the word. Take the word and they all went looking for their lost sheep. They're walking in circles now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I mean, here they are. The sheep are walking in circles and it's the sheep. They've seen flocks of sheep walk for seven days, right? Non-stop yeah. in a circle for seven days. And I think that's a big part of it. So this is what we see. I think there's and, some cattle, cattle walking. I saw some of the cattle, sheep and cattle. I don't know. Maybe the maybe the deer in the forest are. Who knows how are the moose doing up there where you are? <laughs> well, the moose the moose aren't walking in circles, but they're hanging out in my backyard. That's for sure. In fact, <laughs> in fact, just the other day, John, you know this being a North Country guy, we had a. I had a moose come by my living room window. I mean, he was, he had to be, he had to have his nose on the window. Uh, and then well, he goes strolling yeah. into my garden to try to eat my apple trees. Well, get away from my apple trees. I don't want you eating the apple trees. Out, get out of the yard, right? Yeah. But uh, anyway, no, yeah, we've had, uh, we've had some fairly large moose coming through. I mean, you're talking 1,200 pounds and up, yeah. a couple of cows. Yeah. There's a bull wandering around the neighborhood. He's still got his rack going. Uh, of course, we just, you know, last night we got 12 inches of snow. So uh, it was it was a bit of a challenge trying to get out of the get out of the driveway today. It was a little bit inordinate, you know, but it's been fun and it's beautiful. And of course, uh, you know, all I can say is I'm going to I'm just going to uh, I'm just going to leave it at this. We have the draconian plans of really Baphomet worshipers that are in power in the in the U.S. government and in the Western world. They're Baphomet worshipers. Very clear in Switzerland, they they raised the Baphomet when they when they put the tunnel through 
and they've opened CERN. All of this is Baphomet worship. And it comes from, guess who? The Knights Templar, who always worshiped the Baphomet. Well, with this worship of the worship of Mammon, the worship of Baphomet, the worship of the, of the double spiraling serpent, all of this is bringing us to a point now where they have their world, the world of Noah Yuval Harari, right? Which is this absolute elitism at the upper end and everyone else is a digital servant, a digital slave trapped a number and not a human being at all. This is the concept they've openly advertised that this is where they want to go. Yah is going to put an end to that with the breath of his coming. It's just going to end. And the breath of his coming may be the UV radiation coming from the supernova of uh, Betelgeuse. I mean, that could be possibly what's coming, but that is the breath of his coming. But all of this, this whole digital world that we're enjoying right now here on our broadcast, this is all going to come to an end. It's going to come to end in a single hour. Poof, it will be gone. The electric grid will be gone. The telecommunications will be gone. The digital world will be gone. The chips will be fried. There will be nothing remaining. And we will be back in an analog world purely. And if you have not learned the methods for living in an analog world, how to, you know, a time to plant, a time to harvest, right? You know, all those things that come out of Ecclesiastes, right? Yeah. If you haven't learned to do those things, now is the time to learn them. Because if Yah protects you from what's coming upon the earth, you're going to have to learn uh, what's going on. Now, so, now Jacoma asked, what about the 5G 24-month trigger? Okay, well, that, that's an interesting thing, Jacoma, because a lot of people are talking about that 24-month trigger being you know, enacted sometime this month. Well, I haven't seen it yet. I'm not so certain it's 24 months. The people who've said that it's 24 months, I don't know about that. I can tell you that the reports we're getting right now here in Alaska, I was talking with a friend today. He said one of his good friends had a 25-year-old daughter that two days ago just dropped dead at work in Fairbanks, just fell to the floor and was dead. That out in the villages, the elderly out there, and they've, they have, uh, you know, all the elderly out there have undergone the snake bite therapy. They're dropping dead at like flies everywhere. People are just dropping dead. And so we were seeing an incident, a, a huge increase in what they call sudden adult death syndrome. So, you know, it, it's going to be hard to track it because nobody's telling you the truth, right? I mean, how do you get the truth? From who? From who, who are you going to get the truth? You're not getting it out of New York. That's a fact. So we just have to kind of hold on. All right. So with that, guys, I want to thank everybody for being with us. John, I want to thank you for being with me tonight and doing this show together as we talk over some very difficult concepts. It's great having you with me. And uh, thanks for being a great brother. Right. And I was, yeah. I'll see you again probably on, probably on the Sabbath service, I hope. Yeah, I'll be and, in. <laughs> Okay, and for the rest of you, thank you guys for your comments. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel and and you know share the share the video if you want. Maybe some other people are interested in this concept. And if don't forget to visit the Sefer website. Remember that any of the videos we do here on YouTube are also archived on the Sefer website. So in case YouTube says, "Well, I don't like that particular speech. I'm going to take the video down," we will still have the video up at Sefer. Okay, we'll still have the video there. And also. All of our Saturday meetings are archived as podcasts on Sefer Radio, which you can access on the Sefer.net website. So you can get all of the Saturday Sabbath podcasts. They're all there. We have many of our shows archived as podcasts. So you, if you're a truck driver or something like this, or you want to listen to something, or you're just a person who listens to podcasts, you can pick them up at Sefer Radio on Sefer.net. 
Uh, I also have over 400 blogs up at Zephyr.net. So there's a ton of resources. There's free downloads and everything else. We still have a really good program going on at Zephyr right now through the end of the year. Uh, the large print edition of the Zephyr Millennium Edition is in stock. Our regular Zephyr Millennium Edition is in stock. And the, the women that work for us in putting tabs are still working hard through the, through the, you know, through the winter months. So if you, you know, if you want to bless someone with a suffer, or if you feel the inclination, we also have a program. If somebody is like so inclined and says, you know, look, I want to make sure an entire congregation has these books. We have a program to accommodate that. We can direct ship right from our printer, right to your location, anywhere in the world, except countries that ban it. Okay. So just let us know. Okay. Now, uh, so, uh, yeah, the, so the Operation Vinegar says, what do you guys do on Shabbat? Well, we have a Shabbat morning uh, meeting. Well, it's morning my time, 9 a.m. Alaskan time, which is probably, you know, one o'clock your time, John, or something like that. You know? But, uh, but yeah, we start, we, I start early on Saturday morning. And so, yeah, if you're interested, just, you know, write me at separate.net. And thank you, Jesse. Thank you for your administration on the program here today. Really appreciate that. You, you do a wonderful job. Okay, so blessings to you all. We will see you next time. Thanks, John. Thanks for hey. being with us on The Dig. The Dig. That's really <laughs> digging. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks.